You're listening to a sermon from Darabin Presbyterian Church. Visit us online for more resources or to get in touch. So the reading today is from John 13, uh, starting at verse 1 through 17. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, You do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you will have no part with me. Then, Lord, Simon Peter replied, Not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, Those who have had a bath need only wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set an example, set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, No servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Thanks, Alex. Uh, (coughs) As usual, there's an outline of my talk on the uh, welcome card if you want to follow along. Uh, It'd be great to have John 13 open if you don't already have it open. And uh, please pray with me and uh, for me. Our Father, we thank you for this uh, time in which we can share, where we can come and uh, listen to your voice in your word. I pray, Father, that you would help me to speak uh, faithfully and truthfully uh, with conviction uh, that comes by the power of your spirit. I pray for each one here. Uh, that in this hour, in this heat, uh, that you would help us each to be attentive to your word, uh, give us the humility we need to trust it, uh, to receive it, and to be changed by it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, Well, I wonder if you've ever done something or perhaps had something done to you uh, that has left you feeling really unclean, really dirty, uh, Alex gave us a kind of, you know, somewhat superficial uh, example with um, Percy, you know, getting his head in the mud. Another superficial example for me when I was preparing this sermon, uh, I decided to take a break because uh, sometimes when you can't control your sermon prep, uh, you can control weeds getting out of the garden. And so I went out and did some weeding. And, uh, you know, weeding's a pretty messy activity. You know, in there with the dirt, you know, wrenching stuff out of the ground. 
Uh, in the midst of doing the weeding, Gabby came out and offered me a coffee, a coffee in her hand. So I, I just can't have a coffee right now. I'm absolutely filthy. You know, you get your dirt under your fingernails, dirt up your arms. But that was a type of dirtiness, of course, that I could go inside. I could give myself a good scrub. I could wash myself clean. I could sit down and enjoy being clean, enjoy drinking a coffee. But there's a deeper sense of uncleanness, isn't there? A deeper sense of impurity, a deeper sense of being dirty. It's not just on the skin, but it's on the inside. It's a sense of impurity that penetrates seemingly to the very core of who we are, our spirits, our hearts, our souls. When do we feel this sense of uncleanness? Well, I don't know your life, but... Uh, some people feel this uncleanness when they sit down to watch some porn videos again, when they vowed they'd never do it again. Uh, some people feel unclean uh, when someone demeans them or insults them, dehumanises them, simply because of their racial or cultural background. It leaves them feeling second-rate, like a piece of rubbish. Uh, some people feel unclean uh, when, uh, during the course of their profession, they cross an ethical boundary. No one else knows about it, but they do. They only crossed it to get ahead, but they are left feeling unclean. Other people feel unclean maybe when you struggle with a hidden addiction, something around food or gambling or alcohol or, or something else, and it leaves you feeling unclean every time you give into it again. And maybe others feel unclean because that person looked at you or spoke to you or touched you in a particular way that left you feeling completely violated, didn't respect you at all, didn't treat you with the dignity and honour that you deserve, treated you like a piece of dirt left you feeling ashamed and unclean. Or whatever it is, I think all of us, either because of our own sin or the sins of others against us or some combination of both, uh, know what it is to have this deep sense of being unclean. And we know what it is to long for someone to wash us clean, something to wash us clean, not just on our bodies, which we can neatly get off, uh, but in our souls. And that's why John chapter 13 is really wonderful news. It's written for people like us who know what it's like to feel unclean and dirty. Now, the message of this passage, as I summarise it, is that Jesus shows the full extent of his love for you by humbly giving his life for you to wash you completely clean. Jesus shows the full extent of his love for you by humbly giving his life for you to wash you completely clean. So we're just going to unpack these verses. In verses 1 to 5, we see three things that Jesus knows, that he really understands. So the first uh, is in verses 1 and 2, uh, where Jesus knows that it's time for him to show the full extent of his love by giving his life to wash his people clean. So a bit of context in John's Gospel. We're coming back to John's Gospel for the first time in a while. Uh, the end of John chapter 12 is the end of Jesus' public ministry in John's Gospel. Uh, John chapters 1 to 12 uh, is often called the book of signs uh, because it's full of miracles, right? miraculous signs 
uh, that John put in there to point us towards Jesus' glory. Uh, They gave us kind of glimpses of Jesus' glory. Uh, Some of those signs, maybe you remember them. Jesus turned water into wine. He fed the 5,000. He raised the person at the the side of the pool uh, in John chapter 5. So these are the miraculous signs that give us glimpses of God's glory. John 1 to 12 is the book of signs. And now we're moving into the second half of John's gospel, John 13 to 21, often called the book of glory. Because it's in this part of John's gospel where we don't only get glimpses of God's glory, little signposts to God's glory in Jesus, but we see the fullness of God's glory. Because in John's gospel, we see God's glory in particular in Jesus' suffering and death on the cross. We'll talk more about that in the next couple of weeks. Where do you look to see what God is like? You look to Jesus' suffering and death on the cross. That's where we see God's glory. And the first part of John 13 to 21 is this section, John 13 to 17. It's sometimes called the Upper Room Discourse, which sounds like it was you know, named by someone who went to Bible college. Uh, but it's not actually that complicated. It's really just saying Jesus and his disciples are in an upstairs room of a house in Jerusalem, and they're sharing in the Last Supper in this room. Uh, and in, during the course of the meal, Jesus gives his disciples an extended discourse, an extended block of teaching. Uh, And so today we're seeing the first part of this upper room discourse as Jesus and his disciples share in the Passover meal. Uh, So that's the context for verse 1 where John says uh, it was just before the Passover festival. But all of this is set in the context of the Passover. It goes all the way back to Exodus chapter 12, the original Passover, uh, the original Passover lamb that was sacrificed back in Egypt. And maybe it reminds us that way back in John chapter 1, John presented Jesus to us as the Lamb of God who would one day give his life to take away the sins of the world, to wash people clean of their sins. So here we are in John chapter 13, verse 1. John's hinting at us, right, hinting to us right up, uh, up the front that Jesus is the ultimate Passover lamb, if you like. The one who's going to give his life to wash people clean, not just on their bodies, but wash people clean of their sins. Jesus knows that's who he is. He knows it's time for him to give his life. So Jesus says, um, uh, John says, uh, Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world or the world. Maybe you remember in John's Gospel, this it's a little bit cryptic, the hour. Uh, throughout John's Gospel, it means the hour of Jesus' suffering and death. It's not the hour for him to have a meal or to you know, have a shower or whatever. It's always the hour of his suffering and death. And previously in John's Gospel, uh, Jesus knew, he was really clear, that his hour of suffering, death, suffering and death hadn't come. Uh, so during that time, no one could lay a hand on him. But now Jesus knows that the hour of his suffering and death has come. It's time for him to suffer and die as the ultimate Passover lamb to wash people clean. And having given his life on the cross, Jesus knows he'll be raised from the dead and he'll return to his father, as he says in verse 1. So John says, uh, having loved his own who are in the world, Jesus loved them to the end. which is to say that in the the rest of this passage and the rest of John's gospel, what's Jesus doing? 
He's showing his disciples, his own who were in the world, he's showing them the full extent of his love. First by humbly washing their feet clean in today's passage, uh, but secondly and most importantly by humbly washing their sins clean by giving his life for them on the cross. That is where Jesus shows us the full extent of his love. It's at the cross at the end of John's Gospel. Here we see, though, that Jesus knows it's time to start giving his disciples glimpses of that love, showing that love. So take a look in verse 2. John says, uh, as the evening meal was progressing, Uh, Sorry, Uh, the evening meal was in progress uh, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Uh, The word prompted there is maybe like, it actually kind of means that the devil had planted in Judas's heart. Saying that the devil had already planted in Judas's heart the desire to betray Jesus, driven by Judas's own greed. So from this point in John's Gospel, uh, the devil and Judas uh, have formed a a kind of spiritual alliance, a conspiracy, hell-bent on betraying Jesus, handing him over to the Jewish authorities, then to the Roman authorities to be crucified. It seems like Judas and the devil are in control, like getting these conspiracies together to to kill Jesus. Uh, But it's very clear in verses 1 and 2 that it's Jesus who's in control, isn't it? When it wasn't Jesus' hour of suffering and death, no one could lay a hand on Jesus. I said that, well, you read through John's Gospel till this point. There are a number of times where we're told uh, it wasn't Jesus' appointed hour, so the crowd could not touch him. And yet now Jesus knows that it is his hour. It's the appointed hour that his Father has given for him to give his life as the Lamb of God who would wash people clean. And so Judas will be able to betray him. That's verses 1 and 2. What does Jesus know? He knows it's time for him to start showing the full extent of his love by giving his life to wash his people clean. The second thing Jesus knows is in verse 3. Jesus knows that he is the son who was sent from the father and that the father has put all things under his power. Uh, Take a look in verse 3, John says, uh, Jesus knew uh, that the Father had put all things under his power uh, and that he had come from God uh, and was returning to God. Two things Jesus is really clear on, his identity and his status. Really clear on his identity. He knows who he is. He is the Son of God, the one and only Son of God, loved by his Father and sent by his Father into the world. That's who Jesus was. That is his identity. But Jesus is also clear on his status. His Father, the, his Father who made all things and sustains all things and rules over all things, had graciously given all things into his hands, entrusted all things to his power. Which is pretty incredible. It's a pretty exalted identity and status that Jesus has. The one and only Son of God who has power over everything. Which really makes verse 4 all the more incredible. This is the third thing that Jesus knows. He knows that he must use all the power that his Father has given him, his exalted identity and status, to do what? To humbly serve other people. 
by washing them clean. Notice verse 4. At the very moment when we're told who Jesus is and what his status is, he's the one and only son sent from God the Father. Uh, He has all things under his power. At that very moment, John says, Jesus got up from the meal, uh, took off his outer clothes and wrapped a towel around his waist. In stripping off these outer garments, Jesus is deliberately stripping himself back to the outfit of the lowliest of slaves, saying, this is who I am. I've come to give my life as a slave, a servant on the cross. That by itself would have been pretty shocking for Jesus' disciples, for him to strip down in this way. But then in verse 5, it's even more shocking. After that, Jesus poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying drying them with the towel that he'd wrapped around him. So maybe picture the scene, Jesus and his disciples, they're in this upstairs room. In other Gospels, we read how the disciples had set it up for a meal. There would have been a kind of low-lying table in the centre of the room, maybe some cushions around it. Jesus and all his disciples would have been reclining on the ground, probably traditionally on their left kind of like this, with their legs kind of radiating out from the table in a circle. That's the picture. Jesus is hosting the meal. He's the superior one. And yet what does he do? He gets up and starts washing his disciples' feet. It would have been incredibly embarrassing for Jesus' disciples. It's probably hard for us to understand. I mean, I always marvel at those who take up podiatry as a uh, profession because I really don't like feet that much. Uh, So maybe I can resonate a little with the kind of shock of Jesus' disciples. Uh, But in their culture, it was overlaid with uh, all these kind of uh, layers of hierarchy and so on. uh, Jesus' disciples, they might have thought it was appropriate uh, for them to wash Jesus' feet. He was their Lord, their teacher, their master. Maybe you would wash your superior's feet. But they wouldn't have even washed one another's feet. Right? No respected Jewish person would ever wash the feet of an equal or a peer. You'd never do that. You'd get a slave to do that. And yet here, Jesus, the one and only Son of God, who has all power in his hand, he has authority over everything, here Jesus is dressed as a slave, humbling himself to wash their feet. Incredibly embarrassing for Jesus' disciples. Shocking. So what do we learn from this act of Jesus washing his disciples' feet? I think we learn three things uh, in the rest of the passage. First, in verses 6 to 9, uh, we learn that all of us need to be washed clean once and for all by the power of Jesus' death on the cross. All of us need to be washed clean once and for all by the power of Jesus' death on the cross. Uh, most of Jesus' disciples, you'll see, uh, you can imagine they're shocked, you know, drawers dropped to the ground, that kind of thing. Uh, but most of them are, are too kind of shy to say anything when Jesus comes around. Uh, but typically, if you've read the Gospels, Peter is rarely short of a word. Uh, and so Peter speaks up in verse 6, saying, Lord, uh, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replies, you don't realise now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. So you see the contrast in verses 1 to 5. We have three things that Jesus really knew, he was clear on, he understood. And now we've got Peter, who's a bit ignorant. Jesus says, right now, you don't understand what's going on. 
Later on, you will, Peter. Later on, after Jesus has given his life on the cross, uh, his ultimate act of humble service, his ultimate act to cleanse people, not just cleanse their feet, but wash them clean of their sins, after that, Peter will get it. But for now, he doesn't get it at all. He doesn't think he'll ever be okay with Jesus washing his feet. So he says as much in verse 8. He says, no, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus says, unless I wash you, you shall have no part with me. Bit of a strange way of putting it to our ears, no part with me. I think Jesus is saying, unless you are washed clean of your sins by me, uh, unless I, as the Lamb of God, uh, to use John's language, have taken away your sins, then you can have no real connection with me, no real relationship with me, no share or part with me. And so you won't enjoy any of the blessings of knowing me. You forfeit all of that unless you are washed clean by Jesus. Uh, so Peter, in verse 9, says, Well, Lord, if that's the case, don't just wash my feet, wash everything. Peter still doesn't really get it, he doesn't understand, but he does know that he wants to be with Jesus. He wants to be in relationship with Jesus, he wants to share in the blessings of knowing Jesus. So he says, don't just wash my feet, wash it all. Now we've already seen that this foot washing isn't really about washing feet, ultimately. It's about the power of Jesus' death on the cross to wash us clean spiritually. So I wonder if you understand uh, that you really must be washed clean, spiritually speaking, by Jesus' death on the cross. It's that deeper spiritual cleansing that I started by talking about that washes us clean not just on our bodies but on the insides, those stubborn stains and blemishes, impurities that no matter what we do, we can never wash clean. Jesus' death on the cross washes those things clean. Do you understand that you need to experience this kind of once-for-all cleansing of your sins through faith in Jesus' death on the cross? The writer to the Hebrews writes about it in Hebrews chapter 9, verses 13 and 14. He says, uh, the blood of of goats uh, and bulls uh, and the ashes of heifers sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean bit strange, but we don't, we don't need to understand all the details of that, uh, of those who are ceremonially unclean. Those sacrifices uh, sanctify people uh, so that they are outwardly clean. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself uh, unblemished to God, how much more will the blood of Christ cleanse us, uh, cleanse our consciences uh, from all the acts that lead to death, uh, that we may serve the living God. So maybe you see two contrasts here. Uh, first of all, uh, the animal sacrifices in the Old Testament did offer a sort of cleansing uh, because God promised that the unblemished animal was dying as a substitute, by right? dying in the place of God's people, bearing the punishment of death that they deserved for their sins. Uh, but the reality is, an animal can't really be a substitute for a human being. So those sacrifices in the Old Testament only cleansed people on the outside. They didn't cleanse them, uh, wash them clean on the inside, in their consciences. 
Oh, but in Hebrews chapter 9, the writer's saying, no, no, Jesus' blood goes deeper than that. Jesus' sacrifice on the cross doesn't just cleanse us on the outside, it washes our souls clean. It cleanses us of every impurity, giving us new hearts. That's the first contrast, outwardly or inwardly. Uh, The second contrast is temporary and once for all. Uh, So the Old Testament sacrifices had to be offered over and over again. Every time you sinned, you had to go back and offer another sacrifice. Uh, But Jesus' sacrifice is offered once for all on the cross. Uh, So the writer of the Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 10, uh, verse 10, uh, let me find it, Uh, Hebrews 10, verse 10, uh, we, have been, uh, we have been made holy, that's clean, pure, blameless. We have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Uh, this is not a sacrifice that has to keep being offered up over and over again. It's a once for all sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross that washes us clean of every sin once and for all. So one writer described Jesus' death, uh, the blood of Christ, as being like a divine bath for the soul. Seems a bit weird, right? Jump in a bath of blood and you come out, uh, you know, clean. (laughs) Not what we'd think. But it's because Jesus dies the death that we deserve on the cross. He dies clothed in all our uncleanness, all our dirtiness, all our impurity, so that by faith in him, and his blood shed on the cross. We can be clothed in his glory, his perfection, his cleanness, his holiness. I wonder if you've gotten into this divine bath that Jesus offers you. Have you put your trust in Jesus' death on the cross to experience this once-for-all cleansing of your sins? Let me urge you this afternoon, if you haven't done that, it's a great way to start the new year. Uh, Don't be like Peter, kind of proudly saying to Jesus, hey, if I've got any impurities or uncleanness in my life, I'm going to wash it clean myself, thank you very much. I'm not going to have you wash me clean, Jesus. Don't be like that. Because the reality is the stain that sin leaves on our soul is not one that you can scrub clean. You can't get some new uh, laundry detergent to, to get it out. You can't, no matter how many good works you do, no matter how many times you go to church or read your Bible or say prayers or serve others, no matter how much you sacrifice or you obey, none of that scrubs the stain of sin from your soul. Only the blood of Jesus can cleanse you, giving you this once-for-all cleansing of sin. This is what all of us need. Uh, But second, that's the first thing we need. Uh, We learn all of us need a once-for-all cleansing Uh, of our sins uh, through the power of Jesus' death on the cross. The second thing we learn is in verses 10 and 11, where we see all of us need to be washed clean each and every day by the power of Jesus' death on the cross. Uh, So go with me, Peter's uh, slightly kind of ignorant response to Jesus in verse 9. He still doesn't really get it. Uh, Jesus sees another teaching opportunity. Uh, So in verse 10, he says to Peter, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet, Their whole body is clean, and you are clean. 
That's what Jesus is kind of referencing in a different way, what I was just trying to explain, how Jesus' death on the cross uh, gives us a once-for-all spiritual bath, right? washing us clean of all our sins. And he's saying that Peter has already experienced that cleansing. He's already clean. All he needs is his feet to be washed. But just as if I have a bath, uh, it's not like I never get dirty again. I have a bath and then, oh, no, I've got to, you know, walk out to the recycling bin to put something in the bin. My feet are dirty. They need to be washed. There's some impurities that need to be cleaned away. So also, if you're washed clean once and for all by Jesus' death on the cross, it's not like you never sin again. It's not like there's never, ever any uncleanness or impurity in your life. And so how do we deal with that sin? Well, it's by Jesus' death on the cross. It's exactly the same. It's what uh, the Apostle John, who's writing this gospel, he later wrote to some Christians in 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 to 10. This is what he said about how they should deal with their sin. Uh, he said from verse 8, uh, if we uh, claim to be without sin, uh, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Right? Even every Christian, John says, is like none of us are without sin. We know that, I know that. Life's full of impurities. How do we deal with them? Verse 9. John says, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. I wonder if you recognise your need to be washed clean by the blood of Jesus regularly, each each day even. Someone once said to me uh, that for most Christians... The only time they think about confessing their sins is at church on Sunday. And that's why we should always have a prayer of confession in church. Now, I don't know if that's true, but I wonder if you have a regular habit of confessing your sins to God and embracing the cleansing power of Jesus' death on the cross to wash you clean of all unrighteousness. Let me say, if you don't have a habit like that, uh, why not start the new year with thinking about what that could look like? I'm not saying you have to do it every day. I'm not saying it has to be a ritual locked in at a particular time, though if that's helpful, fine. I'm just saying, none of us are without sin. We all have issues in our relationship with God, impurities, uncleannesses that need to be cleansed by the blood of Jesus. So let's make sure we're making time to confess our sins to the Lord. Uh, The third thing we learn is in verses 12 uh, to 17. Uh, We learn that if you're a disciple of Jesus, all Jesus' disciples are called to follow his example uh, of humbly serving others. As we take a look there in verse 12, uh, John says, uh, when Jesus had finished washing their feet, uh, he put on his clothes, uh, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand, Jesus says, what I have done for you? Now, of course, Jesus knows, like he's just said to Peter, that his disciples don't really understand. But from verse 13, he does encourage them to follow his example, uh, to wash one another's feet. Now, there are some uh, Christian traditions who uh, take this you know, quite literally and on face value, and they have a regular tradition of washing one another's feet. I don't think that we're bound to do that as Jesus' disciples. I don't think those people are, you know, blatantly, they're wrong or sinful or something to wash one another's feet. 
No, surely good foot hygiene is, a, is a, an honourable thing, right? So there's no particular problem with it, but we've already seen that the point of the foot washing is, not, is to be a signpost to Jesus' ultimate act of humble service, and his ultimate act of cleansing people of their sins. So I think the point here is that all Jesus' disciples are called to follow in his footsteps of humble, self-giving, selfless service, that kind of idea. And wouldn't it be a shame to have a ritual? I'm not saying this happens in those traditions, but it would be a shame to have a ritual of washing people's feet and then a lifestyle of pride and not self-giving, you know, not selfless service. Right, surely the most important thing is the heart condition, following Jesus' example of humbly serving others. And I think that's the point uh, in verses uh, 16 and 17. Uh, it's essentially Jesus saying, if it's good enough for him as our Lord and Master, it's good enough for us too. 16 and 17, no servant is greater than their master, no messenger greater than the one who sent them. Well, we're called to follow in Jesus' footsteps of humbly serving others. Uh, quite a number of years ago, I was going to a church a Muslim man started coming to the church. It was wonderful. He was exploring Christianity. I was chatting to him after church one day, and kind of over my shoulder, he saw the senior minister of the church going into the kitchen, picking up some bags full of rubbish, walking out the back door to the kind of skip, and putting these rubbish bags in the bin. As a Muslim man who had attended mosques many times, he was absolutely shocked. He'd never, ever seen an imam do such a thing. He went up to the senior minister and said, well, what on earth are you doing as the senior minister emptying bins? And I always remember the minister's reply. His response was, I'm paraphrasing a little, but it was essentially, if it was good enough for my Lord Jesus to give his life on a rubbish dump outside Jerusalem for me, then how could it be beneath me? to take out some trash. That's what this is about. Understanding Jesus' uh, humble, selfless service for us and following in his footsteps. And so as you sit here on the first day of a new year, I wonder if you know what it's like to feel dirty and unclean. Yeah, we're just having, not, not just dirty and unclean on the outside, I'm sure after sitting on a 35-degree day, some of us are feeling a bit sweaty, and you're like, yeah, I know what it's like to feel unclean. Uh, that's not what I'm talking about, you know, dirty and unclean on the inside, in a way that you just can't get clean yourself, no matter what you do. Well, if that's you, I hope the words of John 13, verses 1 to 17, I hope they're an encouragement to you at the start of this new year. To know that Jesus showed the full extent of his love for you by humbly giving his life for you to wash you completely clean. So that by faith in him, despite all the uncleannesses and impurities in your life that remain, despite all of that, God sees you as perfectly clean, clothed by faith in the perfection and cleanness and gloriousness, if that's a word, of Jesus. Jesus showed the full extent of his love for you by humbly giving his life for you to wash you completely clean. Let's pray. Uh, gracious Father, thank you for this wonderful passage from John's Gospel. 
I pray that uh, things that I have said that have been helpful uh, would take root in my heart and in others' hearts and bear fruit for your glory. I pray that other things would be blown away and forgotten. I pray, Father, in particular, that we would just be really clear uh, that your Son, our Lord Jesus, showed the fullness of his love for us by humbly giving his life for us to wash us completely clean. In his name we pray. Amen.